0: Gospel, it's Mark chapter 8, found on page 1,162 of the Pew Bible. We're looking at the verses 34 to 38, but let's read (coughs) a little bit earlier from, let's see if I got it here. Yeah, verse 22. So let's read Mark 8, verse 22. Listen, this is God's word. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the town to Caesarea Philippi. And on the road he asked his disciples, saying to them, who do men say that I am? And so they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. And then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And when he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. May God bless to us his word. Now as parents to young children, you get to rewatch a lot of movies from your own youth. And this is quite enjoyable. It's nostalgic. And often Heather and I, we try and find movies from our youth because, well, those movies tend to hold more traditional values than what you get today. And we grew up in the Disney Renaissance, the high point of Disney, with the movies like *The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and The Lion King. And arguably, Disney has never been able to reach this peak again. But what has improved since those days is the quality of the picture. Now, we can remember watching movies in our youth, and uh, the picture at that time, they were cutting edge, they were vibrant, they were detailed. But now when we go back and rewatch them, we're surprised at just how dated these movies look. And it just shows how technology in animation has really advanced. Well, in our series, in Mark, we are asking the question, how do you see Jesus? Is your view of Jesus blurry and pixelated, lacking details and dull? Or do you see Christ for who he really is? You see him in high definition as the Christ as the one who came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, maybe after last week's sermon, you were thinking, well, I passed the eye examination. I see Christ as my Messiah. I recognize that he had to suffer, that he had to die to save me. But this evening, I want you to see further that you have to open your eyes more. This part of Mark's gospel is a turning point. I mentioned that last week. Peter has worked out the identity of Jesus as the Christ, and this is the first time that Christ, the word Christ, has been used since the beginning of Mark's gospel, where Mark begins the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this turning point, the focus now is less on the identity of Jesus Christ to now his mission, which would be a mission of suffering. But there is also a focus on how we respond to Jesus Christ. And so I want you to notice that Christ calls you to follow him. And this means you identify with him and his suffering. But give thanks that Christ's suffering secures you for all eternity. Well, firstly, notice following Christ means denying yourself and taking up your cross. This is verse 34. Jesus deliberately, he moves from his disciples to being with the people. What he had to say was not just for this select group of men. This was not simply for those who become apostles. No, this applies to all of his followers. This applies to you and to me. Jesus wants you to consider the cost of discipleship, the cost of following him. Now, this is something that is rarely talked about. We may be shy away from it. And if anything, we hear how the gospel brings health and wealth. And we hear this from false teachers, that Christianity will provide you with material blessings in this life. Joel Osteen's book is about how Christianity offers you your best life now. Well, that's the complete opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is very clear that the Christian life involves suffering. McCoy says suffering was a pathway to glory for Jesus and for any disciple who wants to follow in his footsteps. We're often surprised by suffering. We're like Peter, who found what Jesus was saying as absurd, and Jesus rebuked Peter sternly. And maybe we need to be rebuked too for our faulty vision now you must see suffering as the norm since it was part of Jesus life it will be part of your life too and this begins by denying yourself now some of you are maybe denying yourselves on the run up to thanksgiving and christmas you're cutting back so you can enjoy a few more slices of pumpkin pie or you can eat a few more candies at christmas or maybe you're denying yourself when you decide against going to Chick-fil-A and instead making a sandwich at home. Or maybe you're denying yourself and you think, I'll make do, rather than buying new clothes or new shoes. Is that what Jesus is meaning when he says to deny yourself? No, denying yourself here means that you no longer see yourself as number one. Naturally, we are selfish. We look to ourselves but denying yourself is when you recognize that you're not the most important person. You say no to yourself, and instead you say yes to Christ. You deny yourself when you put him first in your life. The first question in the shorter catechism is, what is man's chief end? What is man's primary purpose? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's not about glorifying yourself. It's not about finding your enjoyment in yourself. No, it's self denial. You look instead to God. God is your focus in life. It's not your family. It's not your friends. It's not your country. It's not your job. It's not your school. It's Jesus. And it's in Him that you find your purpose. But as well as denying yourselves, you are to take up your cross. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Rich was preaching on the parables from Luke 14, where you are to count the cost. You build a tower, you go to war, you count the cost beforehand, and the cost is carrying your cross. And what struck me from Rich's sermon, and hopefully it struck you too, is that carrying your cross is not simply the burdens that you have to bear. We all have different burdens in this life, and we wrongly think this is our cross to bear. I was guilty of that thought. I thought picking up uh, my dirty laundry was Heather's cross to bear. That was Richard's (laughs) illustration. (laughs) But it's true, we often see our cross as the frustrations in life, like a difficult family member or an illness or an unsatisfying job. But it can't mean that because unbelievers also face similar trials, and they're not following Christ. So why would they have a cross to bear? No, a cross to bear is what the word cross means. It means death. When we think of a cross, we often think of something ornamental. We think of jewelry. Or maybe we think of Jesus on the cross, but we can have a romanticized view of Jesus on the cross. No, the cross means death. And that is what Jesus did. He bore the cross, and it would lead to his death. If you saw someone in the Roman world carrying a cross, well, they were condemned to death. And you too are to carry your cross. You too are dying to self. Consider it like carrying your own coffin, if that makes more sense. Hugh says a cross comes from, from specifically walking in Christ's steps, embracing his life. His life meant suffering even to death. And that is what you're to do in following Christ. The motto for the U.S. Marines is semper fidelis, always faithful. If you join the Marines, you'll be loyal to the cause. Nothing is allowed to interfere with the mission. You will be faithful to see the mission completed. Well, Likewise, the motto of the Christian life is to carry your cross. You're loyal to Jesus Christ. He is your Savior. His mission is your means of salvation. And so in following him, you're willing to bear the consequences that is involved in following him. John Stott says he does not call us to a sloppy half-heartedness, but to a vigorous, absolute commitment. So how have you taken up the cross? How have you died to your old way of life? You now follow Christ. You follow his teachings, and so you're willing to go against your friends and your family who disagree with you. You now follow Christ. You see him as Lord, and so you obey him, even if that costs you your reputation or a profitable business deal, a promotion. You now follow Christ, even if that means ridicule from those you respect. This is the cost of following Christ, That's what it means to deny yourself and to take up your cross. Well, secondly, consider, recognize the promise that if you desire to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for Christ's sake, you will save it. Now, at the end of the day, everyone must die. There are those who are trying to save their lives, but they lose their life. And there are those who are willing to lose it, but they end up gaining life. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, you will die. But Scrivener says that there are two kinds of death. There is a tragic kind of death, the one that comes at the end and robs us of everything, but there is another kind of death that we can embrace now. We can take up our cross and die a different death, a hopeful death, the kind of death that opens up the way Life. Are you busy trying to save your life? Well, this is pointless. You can't save yourself. There is nothing winsome about you to God. Instead, God sees your sinfulness. Your attempt at covering that up is pathetic. Instead, if you lose your life for Christ's sake, you will save it. This should be your way of life, this is your identity. Today, identity is an important thing. We've just come out of the elections where who you identify with was seen as really important. Some candidates wanted to be identified with President Trump. Then they didn't want to be identified with President Trump. Some wanted to be identified with President Obama. Most didn't want to be identified with President Biden. But for the Christian identity, your identity, for the Christian, your identity is found in Christ. You identify with him. You also identify with him on the cross. For in the cross of Christ, you also died. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, you are crucified with Christ. And this is the good news that saves you. The cross of Christ is what enables you to have eternal life. Through his death, you became dead to sin. No longer does sin reign over you. And as a result, you have reconciliation with God. And so it's through Christ that you have a relationship with God. So that's why it's important to see yourself in Christ. He is your identity, for it is in him that you have salvation. This is the good news, for it is in Christ that you have everything. You could die at 12 years old and have had a full life because you're in Christ compared to a billionaire dying at 80 years old who does not accept the gospel and so in the end has nothing. When you lose yourself in following Christ, you actually find yourself. C.S. Lewis writes, give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from death. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. By losing your old way of life, you actually find new life in Christ. Well, thirdly, realize that it is of no benefit to you if you gain the world but lose your soul. So consider just what this world has to offer. There's wealth, there's power, there's relationships, there's sex, there's academics, there's health, there's travel, there's luxury, there's experiences, there's food. The world has a lot to offer. But even if you could gain the whole world, which is impossible, would it still be worth it? In the movie Titanic, there is the scene of Cal, the villain, the multimillionaire that used his money to enable him to reach the top and even thought he could use his money to get out of death. And in the movie, we see him bribing the first officer, William Murdoch, for a seat on a lifeboat. But later, Murdoch throws back the money, saying, your money can't save you any more than it can save me. Get back. And the historical fact was, some of the most wealthy men in the world at that time, John Jacob Astor, Benjamin Guggenheim, they'd gained the world, but yet they all went down with the ship. All the money in the world could do nothing for them. Well, what is it that you are holding on to? What is it that can compare to the saving of your soul? Weigh them in the balance. And you will find that Christ is more valuable. More valuable than wealth. More valuable than relationships. More valuable than knowledge. More valuable than every experience that this world has to offer. You're holding on to these things to save you, but they cannot save. They cannot give you life. Children have a great way of collecting little things, little trinkets, stones, pictures, various objects, things that are worthless, but to them they're valuable. But for you as adults, this is what you have in this world your house or your car, your art or your tools, your jewelry. They are all but little trinkets, things that can do nothing for you. But also consider just how this world is temporary. Your life in this world is short. Children and young people, this is hard for you to believe. You have your whole life ahead of you. But life is short. We were recently watching videos of our kids when they moved to America when they still had Irish accents. It only seems like yesterday to Heather and I, but for our kids, they've grown up so much since then. Kira was six, Lewis was four, Ronan was two, and Liam was just born when they moved here. For them, four years is a long time. They can barely remember much beforehand, but it has gone by so quickly. Life is short life is temporary. Well, verse 37, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm not sure if you've seen the play. Dr. Faustus is a clear example of this. Dr. Faustus is a man who was dissatisfied in this world, and so he sells his soul to the devil to be given 24 years of absolute power. Well, those 24 years end, and he's in despair, knowing that ahead of him is an eternity of hell. Wilhelm says there is nothing you can give, nothing you can earn or own that will compensate even a tiny bit for losing your chance of eternal life. It is of no benefit to you to gain the world and then to lose your soul. Well, fourthly, if you are ashamed of Christ, he will be ashamed of you, verse 38. Being ashamed of Christ was a real thing for Mark's original audience. Living in Rome where Christians were being persecuted. One of the oldest depictions of Jesus on the cross was a piece of graffiti that was discovered in Rome. Scratched into the plaster off a wall, there's a figure of someone on a cross who had the body of a man and yet the head of a donkey. Standing beside the cross is another person worshipping this man on the cross. And beside the picture, there is a caption that says, Alex Aminos worships his God. Well, it's clear that this graffiti is mocking Christianity and mocking this man in particular. Christianity was new in Rome. It was seen as a strange cult. Their thinking could not fathom a man dying on a cross who is God. To them, he's a donkey. And anyone who worships such a person is seen as a fool. No Roman would respect someone who has died on a cross. And that's why Paul said to the Corinthians, we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness. And the message of Christianity is not popular in our world either. It too is ridiculed, mainly because people don't see the need for the cross, because they don't see that their sin is offensive to God. But while it's not popular, we're not persecuted in the same way. Probably for our students, you maybe you'll face some flack from certain professors or from some of your fellow students. But often it's a case of, well, that's your thing. It's not mine. You're welcome to have your beliefs. Just don't enforce it on me. But I realize that is now changing. There is a demand to conform, to accept others' beliefs, even if those beliefs contradict Christianity. And so as a result, it is becoming increasingly difficult for Christians. Our world is becoming more and more similar to Rome. To identify with Jesus will not gain you credibility. The world sees it as nonsense. To give up your career to go into the ministry, they see that as nonsense. To reject a job offer because you would have to work on the Lord's day, or reject a business deal because it's unethical. They can't get their head around that. And so there is a real danger of you becoming ashamed of Christ. And so you must recognize what you have in Christ. But you also must see the warning here. If you are ashamed of Christ, he will be ashamed of you. Kevin D. Young gives a helpful illustration of a story of a couple who recently got engaged the girl is sharing her news with her friends, and they start laughing at her. You got engaged to him, they said. He doesn't have much to offer. What would you see in him? He can't provide for you. And so the girl gets embarrassed and says, oh, it's not that serious. We won't get married. It's just for fun. And her fiancé hears her say this. Well, what will he do? Well, of course, he will break off the engagement. Well, that's like us before Christ. Do not be ashamed of him, or he will be ashamed of you. Notice how Jesus describes the people of this world, an adulterous and sinful generation. Open your eyes to see what this world is really like. Why would you cave in to this world and its beliefs? Why are you so concerned about keeping a social standing in this world? Now, the British papers are filled at the moment with the exploits of a TV program titled, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. It's a reality TV show where they leave a bunch of famous people in the jungle. They have to do these various trials to get food. And the contestants' goal is to stay in as long as possible to win the show. But it's their antics that are appalling. And it's making the newspapers And these contestants are not simply B-list celebrities or 80s pop stars who are competing. No, there's a member of parliament who's competing. There's a member of the royal family. A whole variety of people, the cream of society. And yet their conversations are describing their various exploits and people and what they laugh at. And so it shows you what they're really like. They're meant to be the role models for society and yet they are completely immoral and is being broadcasted as entertainment. Do not be enticed by this world. See it for what it is. Do not be so concerned about fitting into this world to be accepted by this world by becoming ashamed of Christ. Listen to this warning. If you're ashamed of Christ, he will be ashamed of you. Well, finally, notice Christ is coming back in glory. So in him you can come and die and live. Verse 38 speaks of how Christ will return again. Notice how he will come. He will come in the glory of his father with the angels. The kingdom will be unveiled for all to see. Everyone will bend the knee to Christ. They will recognize that Jesus is the king. It will be a glorious moment. No one will be mocking Jesus then. And you will see just how worth it it really is. There will be no regrets. You're not losing. You're gaining. Yes, your life is marked by the cross. But now you have the crown. Yes, it may be costly in worldly terms. But what you lose for Christ is nothing to what you've gained. Do you see that? In the next passage, we'll consider next week, the disciples, they get a preview of the glory of Christ when they see Jesus transfigured. Well, soon, Christ's glory will be evident for all to see. And so since Christ is glorious, he is worth dying for. For while you're called to come and die, it's actually a call to live. Live with Christ in glory to all eternity. But before glory... Comes across. And so, as Christ suffered and died, so you will suffer and die. Therefore, you should see suffering as normal. Trials are part of the Christian life. It is costly. But in these trials, you're not alone. Christ is with you. And so, He provides you with His grace to persevere. So, are you suffering? Are you going through trials? Are you being made to feel uncomfortable? And young people especially recognize this. It's important to learn this lesson early. You young people have the gifts and abilities to do well in this world. Maybe your teachers or your professors are pushing you to the the top to climb the career ladder. I went to high school where where all the straight A students were pushed into either law or medicine. The careers department was pretty narrow in its scope. It was focused on your academics rather than on your gifts or abilities. And while I'm not saying you shouldn't be ambitious, you should use your gifts and your abilities for Christ. We need more pastors. We need more missionaries. We need Christians who are willing to be doctors and teachers and businessmen in this world. We need more folk who will serve rather than seek their own selfish ambitions. The wages may not be as good as what the world will offer. You may not get the same respect. For some, it may even lead to death. The explorer Ernest Shackleton, when he was looking for people to go with him on his exploration of the Antarctic, he reportedly placed an ad in the newspaper, and it said simply, men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, Long hours of complete darkness. Safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition, an event of success. Well, that's Christ's call to your life. It's a call to come, carry your cross. It's a call to come and die. But there is a difference between Shackleton's call and Christ's call. If you respond to Christ's call, there is no doubt about the final outcome. Christ conquered death. And so in giving your life to him, it's not suicide. It's the opposite. It is life. So Christ calls you to follow him. And this means you identify with him. You identify with his suffering. But give thanks that Christ's suffering secures you for all eternity. Jim Elliot famously said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliot would lose his life. He would give up his life in tragic circumstances. At 29 years old, he was in Ecuador trying to reach the Juanodani Indians by attempting to build a friendship with them. Instead, he and four others were killed by being speared to death by these people that they were trying to reach with the gospel. But their deaths did not end the mission Jim's wife Elizabeth, the pilot Nate Saint's sister, reached the tribe, and God would use them to spread the gospel to these people. God would use the death of these five missionaries to inspire many more to go to other countries and share the love of Christ. So remember, you're no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Christ calls you to follow him, and this means you identify with him, in his suffering, but give thanks that Christ's suffering secures you for all eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to see Jesus clearly, that we would see him as our Lord, that we would see him as the one who died on the cross and rose again to save us, and that we would see that in following him, We too are called to suffer. And yet help us see the security that we have in him. There's nothing in this world that compares to what we have in Christ. Help us in response to deny ourselves and to take up the cross. That we would not be ashamed of Christ, but instead live for him whatever the the cost. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn your psalm book to Psalm 71a. Psalm 71 is a prayer to do just this, that we would not be ashamed, but instead we would put our trust in God, that God would protect us from the wickedness of this world, and we would find our hope only in him. So stand and sing Psalm 71a.